Welcome back to the Nature and Society podcast. This is our second installment going over climate change. Climate change is a broad term describing, as I'm sure you can guess, changes in Earth's climate. Many people refer to it as global warming, and while the average global temperature is going up, I feel it's not a great term to use as climate change is so much more than just an increase in temperatures, and people use the term global warming in straw man arguments against it. Like, I don't know how many times I heard the story of Senator Jim Inhofe of Oklahoma, who brought snow with him into the Senate to say, if there's global warming, how do I have the snow from outside? As if he proved thousands of academics, scientists, and researchers wrong. That event was only six years ago from now, and the former Senate Majority Leader McConnell finally admitted last year that climate change was real due to the many problems the country faced due to it. For so long, so many people were adamant about denying its existence or denying that humans had a part in it, and at this point, there's no time to argue whether or not it's real. We have all the facts, figures, and data to show it's real and show a lot of the real consequences that we're facing. In reality, global warming or climate change means more extreme weather patterns across the globe and massive ecological changes because of it. In the last year alone, 2020 to 2021, we've seen countless examples of climate change and the massive devastation that it has. We had a global pandemic, a record amount of hurricanes in the Atlantic, cold-induced power outages across Texas, and wildfires on the West Coast as well as Australia. The toll of these events, whether it be human life or money, is only a fraction of what may come if nothing is done. Climate change has so many facets that you could get lost in. I could do an entire podcast on one small topic, such as declining blue tuna populations in the North Atlantic and what that could do to the entire ocean. However, I want to keep from delving too deep and instead cover a wide range of what I think to be some of the most important climate change topics or other topics that just are a good brief overview of the problem at large. And with all that being said, let's get into it. Causes of climate change. Going into the causes of climate change. One of the biggest drivers is historical overconsumption and overproduction. Overconsumption is when too many resources are being taken from an environment to be replaced or replenished by that environment. Overproduction is producing more of something than people could actually consume. Some of the worst industries for overproduction and even overconsumption include fashion, agriculture, manufacturing, and automobiles. All of these processes produce a terrifying amount of carbon emissions and other greenhouse gases. Most air pollution comes from production and energy use. Air pollution is believed to be the leading factor in climate change, and especially in global warming. Greenhouse gases get the name from their greenhouse-like effect of trapping heat in the atmosphere, heating up the atmosphere effectively. Much of that heat would otherwise leave the atmosphere, but now it's trapped and literally heating up the planet. The increased heat causes things like smog to occur, and further cause issues and complications for all living creatures, such as the melting of the ice caps. Air pollution can cause a host of issues like cancer, lung disease, and liver and heart problems, and a lot more. 
the warming caused by the gases are a major concern whose effects I'll explain more later. Another source, another major source of both overproduction and overconsumption is livestock. The new Western diet focuses on fats, proteins, and basically meats. A lot of these were more of luxury items a few hundred years ago, or in other parts of the world. In other parts of the world, their diets focus on grains, vegetables, and other plants that are far less water, labor, and land intensive than meat. Just think about how much food a cow needs to its entire life before you eat it. And think about how much water it takes to grow the cow's or the pig's food, and how much water those animals themselves need. And that's clean, fresh water that we're slowly using up and running out of. The United Nations Food and Agricultural Organization stated in a new report that the livestock sector generates more greenhouse gas emissions as measured in CO2 equivalent, 18%, than transportation does. It is also a major source of land and water degradation, as the animals living on soil trample it, remove some of the nutrients, they eat up a lot of plants and allow other invasive species like weeds to come in and take hold. The livestock sector of agriculture and farming is the fastest growing sector currently and accounts for 37% of all fuel-increased methane, which is another greenhouse gas. So all of this livestock, it's, you know, the industry is growing. People are eating more and more meat, but this meat that we're eating is using up a lot of food that people otherwise could eat. They're producing a lot of methane, producing a lot of CO2, using up a lot of water and damaging the land. Going into a really big topic, I'll try to keep short, but not really, is plastics. The reason I can't keep this as quick as I originally hoped to is that plastics are a good and very visual representation of humans' negative impact on our world. Plastics are more than you think in this whole climate change mess. They are a synthetic material made from oil and used as a durable container or versatile material. And plastic is an incredible material and it's incredibly versatile. In the process of obtaining the oil for plastic use, however, the CIEL report estimated that 12.5 to 13.5 million metric tons of carbon dioxide equivalent are emitted per year while extracting and transporting natural gas to create feedstocks for plastics in the United States. That's just from getting and moving the oil used for the plastic. The plastic still isn't made at this point. According to the World Economic Forum, 4-8% of annual global oil consumption is associated with plastics. Plastics will account for 20% of oil consumption by 2050 if the increased use of plastic continues. There's been more plastic made in the last 10 years than in the last 50 years before that. We are constantly ramping up plastic production, and it's nowhere near sustainable, and it's just all around a really bad situation we're in currently. So on to the next step of processing the plastics that releases even more greenhouse gases. In 2015, emissions from manufacturing ethylene, the building block for polyethylene plastics, were 184.3 to 213 million metric tons of carbon dioxide equivalent which is about as much as 45 million passenger vehicles emit during one year, according to that same CIEL report. Globally, carbon dioxide emissions from ethylene production are projected to expand by 34% between 2015 and 2030. 
So in the next 10 years, it's going to be a one-third increase in the emissions from making these common and important plastics. And it's just worsening the entire problem and situation we're already in and already are going to have to dig ourselves out of without adding all of this extra shit onto it. Continuing down this dark road, 40% of this plastic is used for packaging, which accounts for the plastic you get when you order something online and there's like bubble wrap or something in the box, which is plastic packaging. Um, the plastic you get whenever you get food from the store, like salad in a bag or anything frozen that comes in a plastic bag. And those types of plastics aren't recyclable. In fact, most types of plastics aren't recyclable. And even if you do recycle it, such as when you see one of those park benches with the recycling symbol on the back that says like made of former plastic water bottles, that upcycled product is no longer recyclable itself. So when that product reaches the end of its life, it's done. That's It's going to have to go to a landfill or somewhere. And on top of all that, China was the country that recycled and processed the plastics that we could recycle. And now they're not accepting recycling from other nations. So we're stuck with a disgusting abundance of plastic. And we're constantly ramping up our plastic production. So what do you do with all this plastic that can't be reused or recycled? All this plastic that can't be recycled gets sent to a landfill or incinerator. These waste disposal sites are almost always built in poorer countries or communities and cause a variety of health problems for nearby residents. These problems could range from different cancers to lung diseases from the, the smoke from the incinerators to the landfills seeping into the water table and infecting people with, again, other types of cancers and diseases. And the plastic in landfills, or otherwise littered, often end up finally in the ocean, which is another incredibly bad problem. It's easy to imagine the damage loose plastics cause aquatic life. You see the, the videos online with the turtles or the, the six-ring soda holders around a seagull's neck or something. But in a worse and less visible way, those plastics break down into microplastics in the ocean and are eaten by aquatic life. Then other fish eat those fish and take in the microplastics. So you have smaller fish accidentally consuming the plastic or consuming it thinking it's some of its food. And then you have larger fish eating multiple of those fish full of plastic and in turn taking in all those microplastics from all those fish it's eating. And finally those chock full of plastic fish at some point, they, there's a good chance it'll find its way to someone's dinner table, and then that person is consuming all those microplastics. While there's still much to be understood about the health effects, it's not a stretch to assume that the microplastics can cause health complications. Small particles in plastic, the microplastics, they're not organic, so they can't be broken down. It's like when you have small particles of metal or particles in air pollutants, those can enter cells and damage them, leading to increased risk of death from cardiovascular and respiratory diseases or some form of cancer like lung cancer. While reduction in pollutants is possible with plastics, plastics forever themselves will remain a problem and efforts should be made to eliminate or replace them. Again, plastics are really useful. They're highly versatile, but 
fair and inorganic material and we're producing far too much of them to ever really figure out what to properly do with them and the production keeps ramping up. to disproportionate pollution. Recent data shows the gaping inequality in resource usage on Earth. 20% of the population uses up 80% of the resources. That means one in five people on Earth get four out of every five resources we have. That disproportionality alone should be a wake-up call before I even get to the United States. In the US, we consume 17% of the world's energy. We have 15% of the world's GDP, we consume more calories, and we produce more waste and greenhouse gases than almost anywhere else, excluding nations like China that most likely beat us out but don't report accurate numbers. Those numbers don't seem terribly high, especially considering how large the U.S. is. That's until you realize that we have shy of 5% of the world's entire population, showing we use a crazy disproportionate amount of resources. One of the few nations that could beat us out, China, still has about one-seventh of the world's population. So we're using 17% of the world's energy and 15% of the GDP, and we have 15% of the GDP, and we consume more calories and produce more waste with less than 5% of the entire world's population. That's, that's really crazy to think about. So... Why is it acceptable for us here to use so, so many resources and cause so much pollution when we aren't even that large of a country? It's not simply about the fact other places have less resources. It's that they have less resources, yet they are often the ones to bear the brunt of the effects of climate change caused by our heavy use of the world's resources. African nations use a fraction of what we do here in the U.S., and yet they face increasing heat waves plagues of locusts, and declining fish populations. Africa had the worst locust swarms in decades, and their yearly fish yields on, I believe it was the east coast of Africa, are declining by a million tons each year. It's a million tons less fish each year. And those in Africa have a different reality than us here in the U.S. When the pandemic hit, shoppers bought up essential foods like meats and dairy in a frenzy and cleaning products, but that paired with outbreaks at meatpacking plants due to unsafe worker conditions led to some slight food shortages. I personally eat a lot of food, much of which is beef and chicken, and I couldn't buy much of that anymore because of the shortages they limited how much you could buy at the store. Yeah, it sucked, I couldn't eat the foods I normally do, but I could still eat. I could find other foods or eat processed foods that I usually stay away from. Starving is never a possibility for me. It wasn't going to happen. In Africa, when the locusts eat their crops, the droughts kill their crops and livestock, or the fish supply runs low, they have few other options for food. They don't have a lot of Kroger's in Africa. So starvation is a real possibility for them. And all of this is because better off nations like the US, China, a lot of European nations, produce more than their share of pollution while consuming more than their share of resources. I'm going to get more into these disproportionate outcomes a little later. Current results of climate change. 
before I get into the future effects of climate change, we'll see patterns of trends continue, like rising sea levels, mass population losses, or even extinction of many species of flora and fauna, extreme weather, and pandemics. Yeah, in case you didn't know, a pandemic is a byproduct of climate change. I want to go over some of the current effects of climate change. Sticking with that topic of the pandemic, 2020 was a rough year for everyone to say the least. It pretty much goes without saying. I hate that I have to say it, but we had to adapt our lives to this new reality. And hopefully you're one of the people with the luxury to adapt your life to ensure your health and safety and the health and safety of those around you. Sadly, many people didn't have that luxury and had to hope they stayed in the dark, which is yet another example of a disproportionate outcome of climate change hurting the poor more than other people. Regardless, the pandemic was awful with a massive death toll that has yet to near its end. As we know, it was caused by a virus making a jump from an animal, a bat, to a human, and possibly two different animal species, a bat and a pangolin, before making the jump to human. There are countless thousands of diseases in living mammals and birds that could have the ability to be transferred to humans and make that jump. In fact, that's how most all pandemics start. An infected animal is in close contact with a person and somehow the virus makes the transfer to the human host. This happened in 1918 in the last major pandemic. It happened with the swine flu, with the avian flu, and even with SARS. And even if you go back to early North America, and you talk about the Native Americans being wiped out by disease, the reason they didn't have diseases to wipe out the Europeans, and they were the ones who got wiped out, was because the Europeans lived in close proximity with domesticated animals, and that caused diseases like the common cold and smallpox, because they got it from those animals, and then when they brought those diseases to the New World, those Native Americans who never had that close contact with the animals never built up an immunity, and their populations were devastated. Back to this pandemic, with the vast habitat loss that comes with human interference and production, animals have less and less room to roam away from humans in their own world, the natural world. This forced close contact means more opportunities for viruses to make the leap between species, even if it's from one animal to another as opposed to an animal to a person. When you're keeping like live animals like in a wet market or in the wild or in a zoo close together especially near humans there's really big chance for a disease that wasn't in one species before to jump from another species to that species and that new disease there's no immunity in the body for it so it's almost always going to be contagious and devastating so as humans grow in population and spread over the globe, we'll see more and more similar diseases occur and yet again disrupt our world. And not even as humans grow, but as we continue to destroy habitats, we are going to keep being in closer and closer contact with animals, greatly increasing the chance of more pandemics. Not even thinking of contagious diseases like COVID-19, we have diseases like Lyme's disease, Limes comes from ticks commonly found on certain field mice. In places like Connecticut or New Jersey with vast, ever-growing suburbs, the mice have less and less natural environments and fields or forests to inhabit, not to mention many of their predators are relocated or killed by humans as their pests as well. 
a lack of predators and habitats causes them to grow in population alongside suburbs, which makes the probability of one of those mice's ticks finding their way to a human far greater. There has in fact been an increase in Lyme disease cases since the 1970s in these areas, these suburban areas, and the factors above are list, listed above are why. So human intervention into the natural world and the resulting climate change has already cost lives and will continue to do so, even without taking the next effects into account. weather. Now I want to talk about the one of the really big fears of climate change, which is extreme weather patterns. According to the EPA's website, average temperatures have risen across the contiguous 48 states since 1901, with an increased rate of warming over the past 30 years. Eight of the top 10 warmest years on record have occurred since 1998. That's eight of the top 10 warmest years on record have occurred in the last 22 years. This here is an exact quote from the EPA's website. So each year, the extremes of both hot and cold during all seasons is increasing. Our planet is getting warmer, our weather is getting more drastic, but what does that mean for extreme weather like tornadoes, droughts, floods, hurricanes, and heat waves? Well, according again to the EPA, all these extreme weather patterns have only increased in strength and occurrence rates in the last few decades. We have seen increases in precipitation, tropical cyclone activity, river flooding, droughts, and fires. I encourage you to check out the website carbonbrief.org and the section titled Mapped, How Climate Change Affects Extreme Weather Around the World. I found it while researching for this podcast and Basically, this page is a large map of the world full of indicators in different parts that each represent a weather event or a study of a weather event and what human activity caused that event to happen, or at least to happen on that scale or in that frequency. It also mentions that there is no discernible human interference to cause that weather event or just inconclusive data. It even links the relevant studies so you can do further research for yourself if you're that kind of person. And I personally just thought it was really interesting to be able to look at all the different areas of the world, things that are happening there, studies that have been done, what they attribute to different things and how they decide that they can attribute it to that. All of these weather patterns in general are increasing. We saw a record number of hurricanes this year. There were so many that they started using the Greek alphabet to start naming them. There's, as I mentioned, there's all the forest fires. There was the cold snap in Texas that damaged their power grid. We're just going to keep seeing more and more of all of these extreme weathers that usually are semi-rare, but they're going to happen in greater frequency and greater intensity because of climate change. Disproportionate harms. Now I'm getting into disproportionate harms due to climate change. I briefly went over this with the uh, example in Africa, um, certain people who were stuck being essential workers during the pandemic and couldn't just stay home, or the plastic landfills and incinerators in poor areas. This, These disproportionate harms are referred to as environmental justice or injustice. And I'll be brief as that's the topic of the next episode. 
So remember when I was explaining the African example and how they'd be more harshly affected by our actions than we are? That's environmental injustice. Oftentimes, those with money and or power will find ways to reduce environmental changes or damages to their own world and their own environment and push it onto others. And usually those others are those below them, politically, socially, economically. Landfills are another example of this. Wealthy people, or even wealthy countries like the U.S., dump their trash in poor neighborhoods or countries that can't fight back or they need the money that they will generate from having and operating landfills. And those poor people are in turn harmed by the environmental injustice due to diseases or other problems that arise. And not only do the rich and powerful shirk their problems onto the poor, powerless, or minority, they also create far more problems. With the same landfill example, wealthier nations like the U.S. or neighborhoods produce far more waste and use far more plastic than the poor, yet they still don't have to deal with it. It's gross gross inequality that will result and has resulted in poor people bearing the brunt of nature's force from climate change, mostly brought on by the rich, by the advantaged. When the sea level rises due to our own actions, it will be the wealthy who find ways to float, and they will let the others sink, unless we do something about it. Future Problems from Climate Change First, I want to go over massive losses of life and of species. Up until now, I have barely covered the loss of life we're seeing as a result of climate change. I've mostly gone over things involving weather or people. And it's not that it's unimportant. It's simply that there's so much to cover, and on the scale of everything occurring right now, individual species loss sadly seems insignificant. Truthfully, we are watching countless species numbers dwindle compared to what once was. A new study from the Proceeding of the National Academy of Sciences of the U.S. warns that by 2070, less than 50 years from now, we will have lost one-third of all plant and animal species. In 50 years, 2070, we will have lost one-third of all plant and animal species. And that does not mean a third of each species will be gone. It means one-third of species will be extinct, and I'm sure a lot of other species, while not extinct, their number will be dwindling. That's, to me, that's absolutely insane. I don't know about you, but as someone in their early 20s, I expect to live at least close to 2070, close enough where I'll live through that damage, and I will see that loss of life. And this isn't a problem for future generations. This is a problem we are constantly facing now and will continue to face as it gets to those worst points. And we have to really fight now to ensure it doesn't get to those points because biodiversity and just each individual species fills up an important niche in their ecosystem. And without them, there's a lot of possible negative outcomes that some of which we understand, some of which we don't. As I briefly said with bluefish tuna, their numbers are going down. They feed, they're one of the staple species in the Atlantic Ocean, and without them, they could cause nearly like an ecological collapse with that loss of life and of organic matter that they bring to the area.
weather systems changing. I know I talked before on extreme weather and how it's increasing and will continue to increase, but this is slightly different on weather systems and is more about almost climate. And now that we're nearing the end, I'm going to hit you with one last major issue that will occur if we don't act fast. I'm unaware how common knowledge is on the halting of ocean circulations, specifically the Atlantic. I would hope it's very common, although I know I've personally had to educate others on it. Either way, the ocean works with thousands of currents and eddies going all number of directions. These currents are not random and have been flowing in the same patterns for as long as we've understood them. The currents are vital to transporting warm or cold water and air and nutrients throughout the world's seas. One specific form of the circulation is the thermohaline circulation wherein cold, dense water sinks and warm water rises, causing a vertical circulation of water. The warm surface water is driven by wind currents to the poles and it cools down, gets denser, sinks deep, and the deep currents bring the cold water back to the tropics to be warm again. That's a brief overview, very brief overview, of how it works as some of it is too complicated for me to understand and some of the currents are still not fully understood by researchers, although they are getting a very good grasp on it. Since the last half century, currents have slowed down around 15%. This slowing is increasing and could lead to a halting and major change to the circulation of currents, most worryingly in the Atlantic. If the currents keep on their trend, they will change the climate of almost the entire globe. Europe will have the climate of Alaska in the winter and of the tropics in the summer. The ocean currents are a vital temperature regulator that takes heat from the land and sun and brings it to cold areas and takes cold water from those areas and brings it to the warm areas. When I was talking about more extreme weather patterns earlier, this is one of them actually and the most worrying. All of the temperate climates humans typically inhabit where, you know, in the winter it's cold but not that cold, in the summer it's hot but not that hot, it's going to be gone. That temperate zones and temperate climates that a lot of species rely on too are going to be gone and replaced with extreme seasons where we're going to see insanely hot temperatures in places that never got that hot. And in those same places, we're going to see insanely cold temperatures where it never got that cold. Hurricane Sandy, the superstorm that devastated New Jersey and parts of the East Coast, if you're a New Jersey resident, I'm very sure you remember it. That is actually one of the results of the current slowing down. If they didn't slow down, we would not have had such a massive, devastating storm. Oceanographer Lisa Beale describes it as the ocean is the flywheel of the climate. It sets the timing of climate change. It can do things like store heat in one place and release it somewhere else a thousand years later. So once you halt the circulation and you don't have this heat transfer anymore, we're going to see a lot of really damaging effects. And what's promoting these ocean current changes are the huge amounts of cold, fresh water entering into the oceans from the melting ice caps, from global warming, from that air pollution I talked about earlier, and I said I'd get into some of the other effects. This is one of the most terrifying effects because it's going to keep heating up, it's going to melt the ice caps, and it's going to 
totally mess up the ocean circulation and change the face of the globe. Onto a more positive note, I want to talk about ways you can combat climate change by rectifying the damage done and prevent further damage. First, I want to get into personal responsibility. I do believe people have personal responsibility and you should hold yourself accountable. And that's more about mindfulness than anything and paying attention to some of the problems that are arising from a lot of our practices. It's less about you actually making a difference. It's about mindfulness. Because in the end, all of the things that you personally can do and change in your life is like throwing a rock at an armored tank. They do help and they are important. However, they're only really important if everyone does it. And that's likely not going to happen. From personal experience, I've tried to be more environmentally conscious. I'm someone who eats a lot of proteins and meat. I love my burgers, brisket, steaks, chicken, bacon, sausage, ribs, and whatnot. I based all my meals around the meat that I wanted to cook and eat for that meal. And that's a very like Western diet thing, a very Western idea that only came around the last 50 or so years. <clears throat> Before the pandemic hit, I worked on a sustainable diet that's better for me and the planet. I went to the store, I found veggies, salads, etc. And most of them were non-recyclable plastic. The salads really were, but the veggies sometimes had plastic wrapping or rubber bands holding them together. And most of the, the produce was more expensive for the amount of food and calories that I needed to eat daily than if I were to buy other processed foods. All produce goes bad before meat or processed foods too, so it meant more trips to the store and wasted produce some weeks. I learned in less than a month that uh, of this that it was more time-consuming, more costly, and less satisfying than just simply buying what I used to. Some people don't have the ability to afford healthy food. Some people don't have the ability to take time to go to the store bi-weekly or the time to make food from raw ingredients. In this nation, it's far easier to buy and eat anything processed. So this is one example of trying to eat sustainable food, and that's a good example of how being sustainable is difficult. Even recycling can be an arduous task when you have to examine each piece to see if it's even recyclable or if it's clean or if it has something on it that would prevent it from being recyclable. When you talk about electric cars too, they have to pollute during production and the charging stations the energy comes from typically is from a natural gas powered plants. And the cars are very expensive. A lot of these environmentally conscious things have a financial barrier of entry. So if you have enough money, yeah, you could do it and it's great. Or even with the money, you might have more time or can hire somebody to make you healthy food or, or better things. But I feel like most people, this, this is out of reach for them. All these attempts at sustainability are even harder for those in the lower echelons of society with less time and money, which nowadays is a large portion of society. So where does this leave us? I'll tell you where. All of this shows that this is a problem not with the individuals in the society, although I still believe personal accountability goes a long way. The real problem is with government, corporations, and the culture. It's not up to us to rectify their use of plastic and unsustainable practices, simply because we can work around it if we don't like it, when really we can't, and people won't. We should start holding them accountable for their own practices and policies, corporations that is. Compared to the emissions, power usage, water usage, and other general pollution of the U.S. populace, which means all the individuals added up, 
the numbers are still dwarfed by how much companies are producing waste and pollution. For example, 70%, nearly three quarters of greenhouse gas emissions can be traced back to just 100 companies. That leaves only 30% to be attributed to every other company and every person aside from those 100 companies. And even look at plastics. Corporations are always saying that they can recycle plastics and that plastics aren't that bad and that it's up to us as the consumer to recycle the plastic and reduce our footprint. No, it's not. They should only use plastics responsibly when needed and otherwise they should cut down on their use of it and find more sustainable alternatives. So now we have an idea of where to start with helping to fix or prevent climate change. We get to start holding corporations accountable for the damages they have caused and continue to cause. They disproportionately pollute and harm and we're the ones who do and will continue to suffer. And how do we hold them accountable? Boycott. Don't buy any more gas from gas stations. Don't buy plastic packages from Amazon. By doing so, you're part of the problem. Of course, I'm kidding. That's ridiculous in today's world. I truly hate when people say boycott or opt out. Yes, in some situations it does work, and it can be really effective if done right. The problem is we live in a society, and what that means now is we have to buy into and use certain things in order to be a part of that society. Unless you're going to go live off the land in the woods, like one of those shows on Discovery Channel, then you need to buy into many industries to partake in the modern world. It's a really sucky fact. Many recycling and renewable efforts, ads, and organizations that tell you to be sustainable are paid for by corporations that are the real polluters. They're shirking the blame onto you, so you see a landfill, you say, fucking people, man, when really you should be putting the blame on the few companies and individuals that drive these disgusting, polluting enterprises. We have to learn who we should be blaming for all of this. Now, entering into my conclusion, what can we do to hold corporations and other major polluters accountable? Vote, act, support local organizations, and start small. We need to, as a people, come together and support green legislation. Of course, be careful to understand the proposed legislation so it's not called green just to hide the fact it's far from it and it just wants popular support. Make sure you understand what you're supporting. Also, participate in local elections to promote candidates and policies who support the sustainability and change we desperately need. Obviously, none of these huge problems that I've gone over are going to be solved on the local level or with local legislation, but it's a step in the right direction, and it is very important to participate in these local elections to send the message that you or we are supporting candidates who are supporting the environment. As I record this, the Democratic Party is working on drafting a Green New Deal. Its proposed price tag is around, I forget, but I, I know it's in the trillions of dollars. Even there's a bill right now as I'm recording it that Biden announced in part one of two that is going to be trillions of dollars. Well, holy shit, that's a lot of money. Trillions on trillions on trillions. The one that was just announced is two trillion and there's another one that's going to add it up to four i believe and i know that's that's a lot of money that's an unfathomable amount of money and if it if the green new deal bill that they're proposing passes it'll be the most expensive bill ever passed but i want to take a moment to put that into perspective though 
because it's vitally important. Think about the multiple pandemic recovery bills and the trillions of dollars they cost just to get us on track and minimize economic impacts and hardships. And still, people are suffering even after spending those trillions. Plus, there's the trillions of dollars in business that were lost from the, pi the pandemic and how it halted the global economy. There's a lot of money already lost just from this pandemic. And then you look at Texas or California or these other disasters and how it costs millions to billions to rectify those issues. And these are singular issues. These issues are all going to get worse. I said already, we can expect more. We can expect more hurricanes. We can expect more cold snaps. We can expect more pandemics. We can expect more fires. We can expect a lot worse to come if we don't fix it. So between all the costs from the pandemic and these other weather events, all caused by climate change, caused by us, trillions of dollars for a bill that would provide jobs to a struggling economy and put us on the right path towards sustainability and survival is a small price to pay. The time to act is now. Well, actually, it was decades ago, but that time has passed. So now we have the chance again to really make a difference and make sure that we don't continue down this dark and dangerous path, which will assuredly cost more in the end than whatever bill they propose. So get out, vote, and stay as educated and informed as you can. Again, staying educated and informed, a lot of that has to do with how much time you have. So a lot of disadvantaged people, they might not have the time or resources. So it's important to talk to people and have conversations about this because this shouldn't be a political topic or a controversial topic. This should be a topic that everybody accepts and knows and understands and everybody should have the same goal of ensuring ours and other species continuations on this planet. In the end, we really need, as a world, drastic changes in order to halt climate change. And we cannot be afraid of those changes. We have to do what it takes to make sure things get better and we don't destroy the planet past the point of no return. All credit for sound effects goes to zapsplat.com and all other relevant sources I use will be in the description.